Good evening, King King's family. It's so uh, wonderful to be able to connect with you this evening and to welcome you. Um, I pray that this past week has been a time of reflection and a time of meeting with the Lord and preparation for where we find ourselves this evening as we have entered into the Feast of Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles is where we are today. I also want to welcome our wider King of Kings Ministries family around the globe. Thank you for being with us tonight. And if you're joining us for the first time tonight, or if this is the first time that you've been with us in a while, welcome back. We're glad that you're able to, to be with us this evening. Um, just a quick update about what's happening. As you can see, I'm, I'm joining you tonight from my home uh, because we are still in a time of lockdown here in Israel. In fact, this past week, um, the government of Israel... Uh, voted to extend the current uh, restrictions for another week. So that takes us out to about the date of October 14th um, that these current restrictions will remain in place. So we appreciate your uh, prayers and, and thoughts for this community, especially for those uh, people that have been kind of shut in for quite a long time. And, and this presents a lot of challenges and difficulties. People at work uh, prepare, preparing and providing for their families in the midst of these holidays. So your prayers and your thoughts for the people of Israel, for our communities, are greatly appreciated. So tonight we're going we're gonna to continue on in a series that Pastor Chad started two weeks ago. It's called New Creation. We're going to continue to look at uh, how the feast relate to this idea of new creation. But I want to recap a few things from, from last week's message that Pastor Chad shared with us. They gave us really some, some key points that I, I want to set us up for uh, where we're going to go tonight. So let me read a couple of these to you. Um, one of the things that Pastor Chad shared with us last week was that the feast days lay out a prophetic timeline of historical stages and markers of the ages. And, and how I understand that is, is we're moving through time uh, on this timeline of God's unfolding plan for his creation, the feasts really give us markers or, or references as things unfold around us. They help us to kind of know where we are at in God's prophetic timeline as, as he unfolds his plan for creation. Pastor Chad also showed us uh, last week how Yeshua fulfilled some of the feasts that God prescribed, the seven main feasts. And the first one was Passover. Uh, Pastor Chad showed us how Yeshua died on Passover and became our Passover lamb, and then moving to the next feast, unleavened bread, that during this time Yeshua was in the grave and he removed sin at that time. And then first fruits, Yeshua rose from the grave on first fruits. And we know that Paul described him as the first fruits of those that had been raised from the dead. And then after that, 50 weeks later, uh, or 50 days later, excuse me, 50 days later, we come to the Feast of Weeks. Um, and that's Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. And we know that the Holy Spirit came as was promised at that time, as Yeshua had promised his followers before he left this earth that they should tarry and that power would come from on high. So we see the fulfillment of these feasts. And then that brings us uh, to the, our current position on God's prophetic timeline, as Pastor Chad shared with us last week, that we're now in, in this prophetic timeline between the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Trumpets. That's where we are in God's prophetic timeline. And he reminded us that the Feast of Trumpets has a prophetic significance to remind us of the return of the king, that the king will return, that he's coming. And that 
trumpet blast will announce his arrival. And then he led us into the Feast of Yom Kippur, which we were actually beginning last Sunday. As just before, uh, just after Pastor Chad delivered his message, we, we began the, the Feast of Yom Kippur. And, and he said that this feast represents the day of judgment for all creation and marks the separation between the new heaven and the new earth and the old heaven and the old earth. And we returned to a, we returned to a state uh, that God originally intended for us. So Yom Kippur has, has a, a future significance as well, where he likened it almost like a, like a funnel, uh, if I could use that word, of all creation will, will funnel into this place in time where we stand before God and we give an account and God judges all of creation. So then after Yom Kippur, we come to the place that we are on God's prophetic timeline, the feast that we have just begun or just entered into, which is the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so as we, we get into this tonight, what, what is Sukkot? We want to look back at Leviticus 23 and read where, where God gives the, the commandments for the feast. He gives the commandment regarding this particular festival in Leviticus 23. So if you'll turn there tonight with me, Leviticus 23, we're going to begin in chapter 30, or in verse 39. So Leviticus, Leviticus 23, verse 39, and I'll read it for you. You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days, after you have gathered the produce of the land. And there will be a complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you are to take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statue for you throughout your generations. You must celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in booths for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. So back to our question, what, what is Sukkot? Well, first, as we read from Leviticus 23, the feast was to serve as a reminder for future generations of the temporary dwellings that God had the people of Israel live in after their departure from Egypt and, and their, their freedom from slavery. So that was the first thing that's given here in Leviticus uh, 23. Second, um, this was to be a festival of rejoicing after the fall harvest was gathered and brought in, a time to rejoice for God's provision for what he had given through the, the produce of the land. And then during this festival, they were also to gather the products of majestic trees to use in their rejoicing before the Lord. And, and there are some wonderful teachings about the significance of the rabbinic traditions regarding the lulav and the four species. And, and actually, some of our leaders have done teachings on this in the past during some of our previous discipleship semesters. And then finally, there's another significance um, that we don't necessarily find here in Leviticus 23, but it actually is found in Zechariah chapter 14, and it's the significance of, it's a time that represents the gathering of people from all nations. So if you turn with me to Zechariah chapter 14, and in verse 16, it says this, that all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the festival of Booths, that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And should any of the families of the earth not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, rain 
will not fall on them. Now, we know that this scripture comes from a time in, in the, the Messianic reign when Yeshua returns to earth and he's ruling and reigning on the earth that the nations will come up during that time and will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So there's a prophetic future significance of this happening, the nations coming up to celebrate this feast. And tonight I want to look at one other passage in the book of Revelation that gives us insights into the future significance of this feast. And this is really going to be our, our key text for tonight. And it comes from Revelation chapter 21. And to give you a little bit of setup for, for what we're going to be reading, if we back up a little bit into Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 11, we read about uh, this great white throne and the one that's sitting on the throne who, who opens up books. And one of these books is described as the book of life. And it says that the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. And as we know from last week's message, Pastor Chad connected this judgment or this great judgment to the feast of Yom Kippur. So, so we see that, that Yom Kippur serves as that funnel, the time when all of creation comes and it stands before this great white throne of God and the books are opened and judgment is made. So that gives us a point on God's prophetic timeline of history. And so that we know that after that, Yom Kippur comes Sukkot. And then we know so that as we enter into what we're going to read now in Revelation 21, that what's happening after is in relation to this festival in God's prophetic timeline in regards to the Feast of Sukkot. So let's turn there to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 1. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will, no will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. And then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, write because these words are faithful and true. So if we look at verse three, it says this, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. We can, we can see a few things. And I think it's important to understand this point tonight in regards to this. This is a new thing, yes. This is a new thing that God will do, but this is not a new idea. God has always intended to dwell with his creation. And in fact, I titled this message tonight, Dwell, because I think a lot of the heart of this reaches back to the heart of God and his desire to dwell with his creation from the very beginning. And so why is it important that we, we understand this? Because it gives us insight into to God's heart for his creation, first of all. Number two, it, it lets us see that his desire to bring us to a place of rebirth, this is not a change of direction for him. When, when the separation happened in the garden because of sin with Adam and Eve, God didn't 
God didn't change his mind in regards to his desire to dwell with creation. He didn't like give up and say, okay, well, that messed up, so I'm, I'm done with that idea. It'll just be what it is. God's desire never changed. It, it just began and set into motion a plan of redemption for creation. And we see actually the, God, the heart of God expressed through many people as he speaks throughout history to different people. And I want to bring you a couple of scriptures tonight that express this as God is speaking to prophets or to the people of Israel and expressing this heart that he has to, to dwell with his creation. And that first scripture I want to read to you is, is from Exodus 25, the beginning of verse 8. And this is God speaking to Moses. He said this, They are to make a sanctuary. Mikdash, the temple, something holy and set apart for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of the furnishings. So God is already saying, I, I have a pattern for this because my desire is to bring it to the, its ultimate place, but this is going to be something that, that foreshadows it. So do this because my desire is ultimately to dwell with my creation. And then in Leviticus chapter 26, Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 11, God is speaking to the people of Israel and he says, I will place my residence or tabernacle among you and I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And then again in Ezekiel, God speaking to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them. It will set my sanctuary, again, my temple uh, among them forever. My dwelling or tabernacle place will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people when my sanctuary is among them forever, the nations will know that I, Yahweh, sanctify Israel. So in this scripture, we see that he, he will set his sanctuary among them forever. This is eternal. This is the new creation that we've already read about, the new heavens and the new earth that God has spoke of here in our key text in Revelation 21. And then in Zechariah, again, God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Zechariah. He says this in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 and 13. Daughter of Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I am coming to dwell. And this word, live among, inhabit, abide, stay, remain among you. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen to this. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and become my people, again, speaking of this future day. And I will dwell, I will live among them, inhabit and stay among you. And you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, keep that in mind. The Lord of hosts has sent me to you because that's gonna come into play as we, as we continue to drill into this. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Let all people be silent for the, before the Lord for he is coming from his holy dwelling place. He's coming from his holy dwelling. Now this passage again indicates that God would be coming from his holy dwelling place and he ultimately would remain with his people from that point. It also hits, again, to the prophetic future when many nations join themselves to the Lord and ultimately become his people. So let's go back to our key text in Revelation 21. It says, 
when it said that I heard a voice coming from the throne and it said this, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And, and I think that we, we see through these scriptures, this has always been God's intention. This has always been God's heart. That moment is the ultimate fulfillment of something that God has desired to do and what history is leading us towards what prophetic history is ultimately leading us towards. Now, I want to take a, a moment and actually look at another bit of foreshadowing in relation to the Feast of Tabernacles <clears throat> with the arrival of Yeshua to the earth, with him coming. Now, Luke records in his gospel something that is spoken by the angel to the shepherds at the, at the time of Yeshua's birth. And it's recorded in, in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. So it's Luke chapter, Luke chapter two, beginning in verse 10, and it says this. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. So this was good news. The angel said, look, this is great news for you and it's great news for all people that this Messiah is coming. Why? Because the kingdom of God was coming near to humanity. The process of transition, of, of the, the, the movement of God's timeline had shifted. The process of, of moving towards the new creation was, was moved to another place. The, the, it was set in motion in a way with the arrival of Yeshua to the earth. And I want to just present something. I don't want tonight to, to argue in regards to the time of Yeshua's birth, because this has been an argument that, that's gone through the centuries. Many, many scholars and, and people who have studied the Bible have gone back and forth when he was born. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the, the point. I don't want to get into an argument. And I'm reminded, actually, of the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to Titus, where he said to uh, avoid foolish debates and genealogies and quarrels and disputes about the law for they're unprofitable and worthless. So I don't want to get into uh, trying to present an argument, but what I want to do is just present a few ideas for consideration as to why this could possibly be uh, the reality, that Yeshua actually did indeed come during the time of Sukkot. Um, so in that, in that vein, I want to just present us a picture using this timeline that Pastor Chad laid out for us last week. If, if we say that Yeshua came at or during the Feast of Sukkot, if he came to earth at, at Sukkot, then that would lead us as the, the first step would lead us back around in the biblical calendar, back around to the next thing, which would be Passover, and his fulfillment, as we already talked about tonight, and his fulfillment of Passover. And then that would lead us to the fulfillment of unleavened bread. And then that would lead us to the fulfillment of first fruits. And then to Shavuot. And then that brings us to our present place in the timeline of God's prophetic work and what he's doing in creation. And then the next thing that we're waiting for, the thing that we're looking forward to is the Feast of Trumpets, the announcement of the arrival of the great king as he returns to earth. And then that would lead us to, again, Yom Kippur, the time of judgment. And once that judgment is complete, it brings us back full circle. So we started Sukkot, it would bring us back full circle to Sukkot to the fulfillment of God bringing the new heaven and the new earth and God himself coming to live 
and dwell with his creation. Now, I want to shift for a moment to a story that's recorded in, in the book of John, actually in John chapter 7, in his gospel. And it speaks of Yeshua as he's uh, actually in Jerusalem for the final day of this feast of Sukkot, the, the last day of, the great day of Sukkot. He's, he's in the feast, and it's in John chapter 7, beginning of verse 37. And I want you to, to hear the scripture. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Yeshua stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. And what Yeshua is referring, he's using a word picture based on ritual that would take place at this time of year, especially on this day during the temple period. And it was a ritual bringing water from the pool of Siloam and pouring it at the base of the altar. And it was part of a daily celebration during the temple period. But then uh, it was uh, even more important on the seventh day, on the last official day. And this ritual memorialized the miracle of the water coming from the rock in the wilderness that's recorded in Numbers chapter 20. And so on this last day, there's a special water pouring ritual and a light ceremony. And, and this is according to the rabbinic text of the Mishnah. What's interesting to me is this ritual also became symbolic of hope for messianic deliverance, that there would be a Messiah that would come and would deliver the people. And this is referenced in the book of Isaiah in, in Isaiah's writings in Isaiah chapter 12, beginning in verse three. And it says this, listen to this, Isaiah chapter 12, verse three. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day, you will say, give thanks to Yahweh, proclaim his name, celebrate his works among the peoples, declare that his name is exalted, sing to Yahweh, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizens of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. Now, I don't know if you caught that again. This is a reminder, again, is that not significant as is the reminder at Sukkot to be joyful, that this is a time of joy. Give thanks to Yahweh, uh, be joyful. And then it, it, this last phrase, for the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. Now, if I go back to what John tells us about what Yeshua said at this last great day of the Feast of John chapter 7, um, for me, it's not so much about what he's offering. It's not about the streams of living water. I don't want to focus on that, but it's rather this statement. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me. And why is that important? I think this last phrase in Isaiah chapter 12 why is that important? Because the Holy One of Israel, Yeshua is saying, the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. So come to me. He's among you. Rejoice, be joyful, and come to me, all those that are thirsting. And as I was considering this passage and just considering uh, what this meant, I was reminded of a, of a scene from a film um, it was actually a, a film from 2005, a comedy um, that was about 
this gentleman, he was becoming a relational consultant for men to try and help men that were struggling to develop relationships with women that they like to, they were either afraid to talk to them, they didn't know how to talk to them, they, they were afraid to approach them. So he's this consultant to help them. And this one particular scene is he's with his client and he's, he's trying to prepare him for the, the first kiss uh, with a woman that he likes. And he, he's trying to, to prep him and prepare him for, for how to, to step into this moment. And he gives this instruction to his client. He says, the secret to the first kiss is to go 90% of the way and hold. And there's a pause. And his client responds, for how long? And his reply is, as long as it takes for her to come the other 10%. And it's, it's really actually a funny movie. It's a really funny scene and the tension builds and what happens is, is quite hilarious. But in, in light of what we just read in John and in light of uh, everything that's, that, that we've just read, as I thought through this and I was reminded of that, that scene and, and what happens there, I, I was reminded of the words of Yeshua where he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Now this phrase is recorded in three gospels, in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in Matthew chapter four, it's in Mark chapter one, and it's in Luke chapter 10. So if it's recorded in almost verbatim in all three gospels, I, I, there's some significance there. They All three of these writers felt that this was a significant phrase to make sure that was included in their accounts of the life and the teachings of Yeshua. And so this phrase that Yeshua uses, the kingdom of God has come near, just really kind of popped out to me. And then if we look at John in his account, in John chapter one, in his gospel, John chapter one in verse 14, and I know you know this verse, listen to this, John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and took up residence among us. Some translations say it dwelt among us. And it said, we observed his glory, the glory of the, as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now the, the Greek word here for residence, that he took up residence, is skinu. It's took up residence formally to live in a tent and actually literally to tabernacle. And what's really, really amazing to me is that the same Greek word is actually the same Greek word that we read in our key text tonight from Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, where it says, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live. That's that Greek word, he will take up residence. He will literally tabernacle with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So during this feast, as we read in John chapter seven, at the, at the end of Sukkot, Yeshua stands up before the people and he presents himself with an offer, and he says, come to me, come to me. And I believe the beauty of this is it shows us the beauty of God's desire to, with, to dwell with his creation. I, I liken back to that scene. God came the 90%, and he said, I'm here, I'm among you. Now, come that last 10%, come to me, come to me. And that offer stands this is not a forced relationship. This is not something that God pushes upon us, but it's an invitation for us to dwell with him, to make that step to him and to receive from him. 
Yeshua came and he removed the distance between heaven and earth. He took, he, he, he re- reduced the distance of God and that separation from God, from humanity. He was here in person. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, as a guarantee of his eternal presence that he would not leave us after that moment as we have come to him. And then he made provision, as we've seen, we talked about his fulfillment of the other feasts. He made provision for our lack. He removed our sins from us. And he secured the right to offer us the inheritance of eternal life. And so he removed all the obstacles. He removed the distance. He removed the obstacles of sin. He removed those things out of the way. He said, I've come to you. I am here among you. Now I ask you, come to me. And so I just want you to think about that in this time of Sukkot, those words of Yeshua that he spoke during this season, come to me. So I hope tonight as we are in this time of Sukkot, my hope for us is that we'll be reminded of a few things, a few key things. Number one, that the, the place that we live now or where we are at today is temporary. It's, it's a temporary existence and God desire, what God ultimately desires for us is eternal. Just as the, the booths that the children of Israel dwelt in in the, in the wilderness, they were temporary dwellings as God brought them on a journey out of slavery, out from Egypt and, and delivered them to the place that he ultimately wanted to bring them, which was the promised land. This, for us, we're in, we're in a temporary dwelling and God has a desire for something eternal for us. And then I also hope we're reminded of God's desire in his heart to dwell for us and that this has never changed for God. This has always been God's intention from the very beginning. God desired to bring us to the point of new creation and to bring us to the the place that he ultimately desires us to be with him, to be like him. So I hope we're reminded of that. I hope uh, this season reminds us of a future. And this comes back to our text where God is dwelling with humanity, where he lives with us. We will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things will have passed away and we will become that new creation that God always intended for us to be. So let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your heart towards us as your children, as your creation, God, that your heart for us has always been a desire to dwell, to be with us, and that the separation was was a temporary thing. We thank you, God, that you invite us. We thank you, Yeshua, that you shortened the distance, that you came to earth and you you came close, and then you called us, said, come to us, Lord, and that, and that through your life that you removed the obstacles that separated us and allowed us to be able to respond to that that call that we could come to you. And we thank you that your heart for us again through all of these things is to bring us to a place where we live and we dwell with you eternally.